Well, hey, everybody. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be here. I know we often have a lot of visitors in the summer, and people kind of come in and out and have vacations and things like that. So if you don't know who I am, my name is Adam. I work on staff as the pastor of student ministries. And if maybe you're joining us for the first time or you've been here a couple weeks, I know... Uh, I just want to let you know I'm glad that you're here. I know some people like to uh, kind of come and sit in the back, and as soon as service is over, you just sort of bolt out the door. So I've, I've been that person, and I totally get it. And I also know there's some people who come and sit, and they kind of look around hoping that somebody will maybe introduce themselves to you, and maybe you get, you get lost in the shuffle or something like that. Uh, I want to let you know I'm glad you're here as well. I would love to meet you. Um, there's a couple ways, actually, you can get connected here pretty fast if that uh, suits your pleasure. You can go to the, the welcome table out front, and they have these little communication cards that you can fill out. Uh, that, uh, there's a list of the ministries and things that we participate in as a church. But uh, also, there, uh, we meet together in the commons after, after service every Sunday. So it's, there's no agenda. It's just a time to eat donuts and drink coffee and uh, fellowship together while little kids, you know, run around and that sort of thing. So I just want to let you know that I'm uh, I'm excited that you're here. Hey, we're in a we're in a series. Well, we just finished up a series in Joshua, and we're in a new series for the summer called uh, Overcome. I'm sorry, Overflow. Overcome was an old series we did. Overflow, a generous heart. So if you haven't guessed it, uh, it's about generosity. I know some people roll it, roll their eyes at that, and they say, "Well, I don't want to come to church and talk about." money, and I, I understand that too. In fact, I don't disagree with you. I remember the, a church I used to be a part of growing up every year, the first of the year was the, was the money sermon. Uh, and we were like, no, we'll be on vacation or something that weekend. Uh, and, and some people, though, get excited about maybe talking about generosity. Some husbands have their wives in mind, and some wives has, have their husbands in mind. And uh, some employees are like, man, I wish my boss was here to talk about generosity or uh, somebody you went out to a restaurant with who was really stingy and didn't tip or something. You think, man, wouldn't it be great for them to be here? Uh, and it's an interesting topic, though, because in the New Testament, Jesus talks more about money and material possessions than he talks about heaven and hell and, and these sort of things. But I wonder is talking about money, and, and maybe not just money, but different facets of generosity, more important because it's a practical part of everyday living. It's a practical means of displaying uh, uh, love and, and stewardship, and it's a practical way to show faithfulness and joy, maybe sacrifice, maybe wisdom. And so as we approach this series, which will last throughout the summer, there's all sorts of different angles we can talk about generosity from. So for example, last week, Nathan Kursak was here, and he, he shared from John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture, about uh, the love of God as a generous giver, the, gener the generous loving act of God to send His Son. So in the upcoming weeks, we're going to hear about all sorts of things. Here's some of the, uh, the, the sermon topics that you guys are going to hear throughout the summer. Principles to live by, motivation for giving, a warning to the rich, generosity leading to gratitude, principles of giving, the gravitational pull of money, faith that produces works, and today we're going to talk about a generous shepherd. 
Uh, our hope is that a variety of approaches to talking about generosity can help us kind of gather a full picture of it. And maybe this is something we feel like we're good at, or maybe it's something we realize we're lacking in. But either way, we hope that this series will help us to become more, more generous by the end of the summer. So like I said, today we're going to look at a generous shepherd. Open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23. Psalms are, are pieces of, of poetry in Scripture. Sometimes they're written as songs to be sung, either by individuals or in a corporate setting. And this specifically is a Psalm of David. And just so we remember who David is, it's the, he's who wrote it. It's the same David who struck down Goliath with the sling. It's the same David who, who spent time fleeing from Saul. It's the same David who was king over Israel. It's the same David who hatched a plan to steal a man's wife and ended up getting that man killed. And it's also the same David who, as a boy, watched over his father's sheep. And what we're going to see in Psalm 23 is an emotional, sort of poetic metaphor about God's relationship to us. And this is what it says in uh, Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a great, what a great passage. As we explore Psalm 23, we're going to look at three things. First, the need for a shepherd. The need for a shepherd. Second, the provision of a shepherd. And third, the certainty of a shepherd. The need for a shepherd, the provision of a shepherd, and the certainty of a shepherd. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll look at this passage. God, thanks for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and faithfulness to us. Uh, as Jesse said, thank you for being Father to us. I pray that as we explore this passage, we wouldn't get into a, a sort of comfortable rut where we feel like we've heard this passage maybe a hundred times or, or what have you, but we would uh, be looking to see what it is you would have for us in our lives and that we will grow in our relationship with you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so when I was a, when I was a kid, my family and I, my uh, mom and all of her sisters, she had three sisters, and her parents, uh, and all of those families would gather at my aunt and uncle's house. They lived up in Ravenna on a pretty big piece of property, but they had this little tiny house. Uh, and so we're all packed in there, lots of people around the table playing cards, um, and they had this super narrow staircase that led upstairs to where the bathroom was. And the, it was so narrow that you kind of had, even as a kid, I had to duck going up. But coming down the stairs, it was really inches from my face. And I could see how many layers of paint were on the ceiling above the stairs. Uh, and there were, uh, was written in gold lettering, uh, my aunt had stenciled on it, uh, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so if you wanted to take the stairs, you had to read it. There's, not, there's no way around it. And eventually, as you, I've gotten older, I start to see this, this specific uh, verse or two on everything. Hallmark cards, sympathy cards for sure, bumper stickers, 
Um, any guidance counseling or, or, or counselor's office that ever has existed has this on it somewhere on a wall. And it's a nice, it's a nice passage, right? It's, this is the meek and, and mild and comfortable side of Christianity that people like talking about. Here's a picture of how it makes me feel inside. Isn't that nice? My parents growing up really liked uh, Thomas Kincaid paintings, and so we'd have you know, a bunch of Thomas Kincaid paintings all over our house of like, it's a painting of a house typically. You know, it's all, it's all nice and cozy, and there's like a winter storm outside, and people are coming into the house, and, and so it's just nice. It's, it's lovely. So for the next 20 minutes, we're just going to look at this picture and walk out refreshed and encouraged. Except this isn't really accurate, though, because shepherding sheep isn't, isn't really a clean and simple job, though, is it? It's not this picturesque. Um, at Mission View, we support several missionaries. One of them is, uh, is the Bonds. Brandon Bond was here recently, and he came and shared with the students about an experience he had where they were living in the Middle East, and they were living with a nomadic group of people who shepherded sheep and, and goats, and that was their life. And they kind of went as a people where the sheep and goats went. And because he was new and he was trying to take the gospel to this people, he was a foreigner, didn't quite know the language yet. You can imagine it took time for him to build relationships with these people. And as he would go out to work with them, uh, all these kind of rough and rugged men, uh, he was given uh, this rookie task. And there's hundreds of sheep and goats, and he's expecting to do something to contribute. And they pull him aside and give him one sheep, uh, the sick one. And he told us that uh, this story of how he had to carry this one sick sheep for miles and miles as they're, as they're trekking across the countryside and how it was the hardest day's work for him to take care of just this one sheep. A couple years ago on the Discovery Channel, there was a show called Dirty Jobs uh, with Mike Rowe where he went around the world uh, experiencing the dirtiest jobs that everyday people do to keep civilization afloat. Uh, such jobs as septic tank inspector, roadkill collector. Uh, one of them was sheep rancher that he did. And it was such a hard and difficult job because by nature, sheep are timid and, and cowardly. So much so that if you led a sheep or a group of, a group of sheep to, to a stream of water, they would be afraid of the running water and refuse to drink. Uh, they, they're restless and they wander and they, they follow one another for no reason. So if one sheep starts taking off running for no reason at all, all the other sheep will take off running after it. Uh, most sheep don't have any sort of horns or anything to defend themselves from a, a predator. And so quite simply, sheep would do well to have a shepherd. And it's not really a difficult leap for me to look at my own life and say, man, I'm, I'm a sheep. Right? Aren't, I, aren't I kind of like a sheep? When everyone else is running one way, I'll just kind of pick up and go with them just because. I don't know. That's, I don't know where we're going, but we're going somewhere. And uh, I don't know what I'm doing in my life. I don't know the way the world works. When left to my own devices, I do the things that are detrimental to me, not necessarily the things that are beneficial. So if somebody led me to water, I wouldn't even know to drink of the thing that's good for me and the thing that I need. And probably all of us have experienced something like that in our lives. In the New Testament, Paul says something like this 
in Romans chapter 7. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I don't do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. And he goes on and he starts talking about himself in this way and the reality of the world we live in and the unfortunate reality of ourselves and we, how we have this thing called sin, this, this offense against a holy and perfect and morally good and excellent and pure God. And a holy and perfect and pure God doesn't participate with sin. So therein lies the problem that we can't have a relationship with God now. We are sinful and God isn't. And a few verses later, Paul says, wretched man that I am. And then he asks this question, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers it, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. As Nathan shared last week, instead of us having to kind of claw our way up to heaven, God has come down to us. And so Jesus lives a perfect and sinless, clean life dies a dirty death and is resurrected in order to make clean some very dirty people. And he enters into this mess of humanity and it's a dirty job and our God is the only one willing to do it. Even in Jesus' day, people saw this happening. This is Luke chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. All right, the dirty people, the tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees, or the clean people, and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if you've lost one of them, doesn't go and leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus goes after it. And Christianity is the only religion in the world where the creator enters into the mess of the creation. There's no person too dirty for God to reconcile to himself, and there's no sheep too far away for Jesus to seek after. Do you hear that? There's no person too dirty for God to reconcile to himself, and there's no sheep too far away for Jesus to seek after. So often I hear people say, well, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't have a relationship with God now. It's too late. The things that I've done or the things that I'm not proud of or who I am as a person now just doesn't, just doesn't mesh with God. Well, we don't just, we're not just sheep who need a shepherd. We're sinners who need a savior. We need a savior to rescue us from ourselves and this problem of sin because we can't do it. And some people can't even get this far. That hill is, that first hill is so insurmountable. Accepting and acknowledging that there could ever be anything wrong with us is sometimes beyond our capability. We, some people just can't accept that there's anything wrong with them that is beyond their ability to fix in and of themselves. So the question I have for us this morning is, do you, are you a sheep that needs a shepherd? Are you a sinner that needs a savior? 
This is the core of the Christian faith, by the way. Sheep need a shepherd and sinners need a savior. Number two, the provision of a shepherd. Okay, so if, if we at least get that far, what's next? What does is, what is a, a shepherd provide? Uh, a lot of people think uh, that they become Christians and then they're on the lookout for Jesus plus something else. Okay, they, they think I have Jesus and now I need X. I have Jesus and now I need this. I need, uh, you know, perfect relationships and I need to, you know, excel at my job and all of this. But David says in Psalm 23 with God, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or I shall not be lacking. And like a shepherd does for sheep, Jesus provides. We see uh, green pastures. He leads me beside green pastures. We, we see in, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Talks about still waters or, or stilled waters. And in John 4.10, Jesus talks about being a, a spring of life. The author of creation provides for us. This isn't just a dead or distant or dormant God that has chosen to create and then turn his back, but he is still intimately involved in and providing for his creation. The theological term for that is providence. God is intimately still governing his creation. So much so to the effect that he didn't let sin just reign supreme and he provided a son so that now we can spend eternity with God. We are provided a Holy Spirit so that we can be guided towards being more like Jesus. We are given his word so that we know what it is he desires of us. 1 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that we need for life and godliness, he provides to us. And God gives and gives and gives and gives solely because of his love for us. It's like a, like a parent, like a mother or father, like a, moms and dads are great examples of people who provide nonstop, in the mess, out of love for their children. Really, only love is what could allow a parent to do what they do for their kids. Am I right, moms and dads? <laughs> so God provides these things that we need, like a parent would, but he doesn't necessarily provide all that we want. And so when we read this kind of fuzzy Psalm 23, we might have certain expectations of what the Christian life should be like. Rainbows and butterflies and health and wealth and prosperity and some people might think this new Christian life will be one that should be without any sort of hardship. But they stop reading at verse 3, and they skip 4 and 5, and then they go right to 6. Verses 4 and 5. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death and being in the presence of enemies are still normal parts of life, even for a Christian, even with God. So David... The author of this psalm was on the run from Saul at one point in his life who was hunting him down. At one point, he was quite literally in a valley, in a cave, surrounded by Saul's military. At one point in time, God called Paul in the New Testament to be an instrument that would take the gospel to the Gentiles, and he told him he would, told him he would be his agent of suffering. Every disciple except for one was brutally executed for their faith. 
our pastor and friend Steve and his family recently experienced and are still experiencing the suffering that goes along with cancer, as some other people in this room are. And even Jesus, the Son of God, experienced human life to the full effect, even to the point of death on a cross. So when we read Psalm 23, it doesn't say, I will no longer walk through the valley. It says, even though I walk through the valley, you're with me. It doesn't say, you prepare a table for me in the absence of my enemies. It says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Scripture doesn't say, follow Christ and all your problems completely melt away. Instead, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And I want to put this disclaimer about the Christian life right up front. These things aren't mutually exclusive. The good and the bad and the ugly, all of these things in Psalm 23 aren't mutually exclusive. I understand it's hard for us to reconcile all that we are provided and still all that seems to befall us. It's hard to reconcile this goodness and mercy that will surely follow us all the days of our lives and still walking through the valley of the shadow of death, isn't it? Working with students, the number one concern that students have, every time we have a sort of open forum and and, and have students come and ask questions, the number one concern that students have with the Christian faith is, how do I reconcile a God who is good and holy and perfect and wants to give me good gifts and all of these things with the fact that he just let my grandpa die? That's a great question. There's this paradox nature to the Christian life where we are indwelt by a holy and righteous and good God, but still live in a fallen and sinful world. And I'm going to tell you right up front, I don't know how it works. So if you're looking for a real solid answer, I don't have one for you. But rather than try to wiggle around how it does work, there are principles that we can find elsewhere in Scripture that I think can encourage us. For example, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he tells what that secret is. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. One of the principles that we can be reminded of in this weird paradox world is that we can still be content in any and every circumstance. Paul's secret to contentment is the presence of a person. He's not saying through his own strength. He's saying, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's proximity to God. That is Paul's secret. In Genesis chapter 50, This is the story of of Joseph who was a favorite son and all of his brothers were jealous of that fact. So they threw him in a hole, told his dad that he died, sold him into slavery, and eventually he was thrown into prison uh, down in in a far land in Egypt. And eventually he comes face to face with his brothers again someday down the road. At this point, Joseph has risen through the ranks and is now second in command over all of Egypt under Pharaoh. And his brothers are in need and they come to him and Joseph is the one that can provide for them. And he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. 
So in addition to being content in any and every circumstance, circumstance, we can also know that God can bring good in any and every circumstance. Joseph's confidence is in the character of the Creator. So for Paul, proximity to God is of utmost importance, and for Joseph, the integrity of God reigns supreme as well. Doesn't that sound like a a sheep with a shepherd? The presence of a person and the confidence in who that person is, the shepherd, that's what the sheep need. And really, the, the shepherd is the main character of Psalm 23, isn't he? God is the one that's doing all the work. And it's God who we have confidence in, just like in Paul and Joseph's story. I had a friend give, it, give an illustration once about a, a king who lives in a castle really far away, and this king is supposed to represent God, and here I am all the way over here, and between me and this king is this vast forest full of, of rocky cliffs and, and dangerous beasts and, and poisonous plants, and the king could send me something to aid me on my journey to get to him, maybe by a bird or something like that. He could send me uh, some sort of weapon like a, like a sword or, or a map or, or a compass, but the thing that would give me most confidence is if the king sent something or someone through the forest so I could know that they could get through. And what the king does is he sends his son... And now, I can walk through the forest with him to get to the king. Martin Luther, the reformer, said, I do not know the way God leads me, but well do I know my guide. As a sheep in this life, contentment and confidence and security are all found in the provision of the shepherd himself in the provision of the shepherd himself. Not my present terrain, not the present circumstances around me, not the sheep around me who I am prone to follow or prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Just like that, that uh, hymn said. Not my own intellect. The shepherd is the shepherd who you rely on beyond anything else. What our God provides for us is himself in the person of Jesus. That's what the provision of a shepherd is. It is not saying that you will have a life without any sort of hardship. And that when things go wrong, that's when you say, God isn't providing for me. It's in the midst of that. God's saying, I'll be with you. Number three, the certainty of a shepherd. If we get this far, sometimes we want a little bit of security. We want, to, we want to know. Okay, I, I believe that sort of on, on paper, but do, do I really know it? Do I really feel it? In preparing for uh, my message this morning, I was, I was looking and, and listening to some other scholars and preachers uh, talk about Psalm 23, and one pastor mentioned a quote by Christian psychiatrist Charles Allen. He said, if people would repeat Psalm 23 seven times before going to bed each night, we would rarely see an emotional breakdown. So I would imagine then that in my aunt and uncle's house, they rarely have an emotional breakdown. Right? We're all looking for this gentleness and this peace that this psalm seems to sort of illustrate. But I I wonder, is reading it really enough? Is reciting it really enough? Is having it on your staircase really enough? For some people, maybe. But for me, it's not. 
I can't, in the mess of whatever my present situation is, I can't read this psalm and suddenly be comforted. Maybe some of you are in the same boat. And in fact, some of you, your whole Christian lives have been like, if only I just read this, then things will be better. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. The word surely is supposed to convey certainty, but we read it kind of like that scene from the movie Airplane. Surely you can't be serious. It's more a word of, of, of disbelief than it is of certainty. We, we replace it with like probably goodness and mercy or, or I think goodness and mercy or I wish goodness and mercy. But the sheep need to trust the shepherd. One reason I think I, I may feel this way is because I've created some sort of order of operations when it comes to reading God's word in my life and it looks like this. I know God says X in his word, but I feel why. I know God says he will be there for me, but I, I don't feel him right now. I know God says he works all things together for the good of those who love him, but I don't, I don't, I don't feel it. I know God says that he wants to give me good gifts, but I don't, I don't really know what those look like. I don't, I don't feel like I'm really seeing any of those. And we use this order of operations here as license to discredit God and say there's no certainty, there's no security in this shepherd What if instead, though, it looked like this? Despite feeling X, I know God says Y. Despite feeling distant from God, I know he is near to me. Despite not feeling God right now, I know he is working all things together for my good. Despite feeling discouraged, I know I have a father who can't wait to bless me beyond belief. Despite a recent death in my family, I know that God is going to use it to bring us closer together. Despite sickness, I know God is the great physician. Despite my present circumstances on earth, I know I'm going to have an eternity with God because of what he did in Jesus Christ. Despite the the present sin that I feel surrounded by, I know God is holy and righteous and good and imparts that upon me. I know despite all of these things, Jesus Christ remains true and the same yesterday, today, and forever. Certainty in the nature and character of God can change your entire life. This way, if we read scripture this way instead of that way, it's no longer just a band-aid that you patch on a wound. It's armor. It's like a desktop computer background. My wife and I took a beach vacation for our honeymoon a couple years ago, and originally I was not a beach guy, but after white sand and soft waves, I'm I'm a fan, okay? Big fan. I used to laugh at people who might have a generic looking a uh, picture like this on their computer screen or on their phone. Does anybody have a picture, something like this, on their, as their phone background or their desktop? There's a couple over here. As their desktop background. Yeah, a couple people do. Uh, and a lot of times it's places people have never seen, places they've never been. I'm like, oh, where is that? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> and it just acts as sort of a little boost to get you through maybe a gray day in the cubicle Have you ever seen those bumper stickers that say stuck in Ohio? Those are so sad. (laughs) But if I had two plane tickets in my hand, 
and I had my bag packed with my sunscreen and my towel and my spot on the beach is all picked out and that's a, a specific location. I'm, I'm ready. This picture means something completely different to me than the person next to me. I have so much certainty in where I'm going that it can change my outlook on the snow that is falling in the dead winter of December in Ohio. Completely different than the way my friend looks at it, right? I would encourage you to open God's word with a newfound passion for being sure and certain of the things that God has promised out of his love for us. I know despite feeling, despite feeling X, I know why, because God says so. Steve had a really awesome certainty about who his shepherd was. This is what it says in John chapter 10. <clears throat> the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And this is Jesus talking. But I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. God has generously given us what we need. Given the sheep what they need in a shepherd. Given the sinner what they need in a savior. So as we wrap up, I want to ask, do you know him like that? Do you have that certainty? Do you recognize your need Second, do you, do you trust him? Do you trust him? And third, if we want to look at our own lives and the ways that we can practically apply this, do you, do you live your life like a, like a shepherd? Do you seek out the people who are lost? Do you seek out the people who have a need? Are you making disciples as Jesus called us to do? In fact, uh, in the office, we would te tease Steve a little bit because he uh, always thought that he was the apostle and the preacher. And we were like, no, no, Steve, you are more like a shepherd. You are a shepherd. And I bet a lot of us in this room have experienced times where we've been sort of uh, distant from people and somebody like Steve has uh, sought us out. Do you live your life like that? It's an area that I need to grow in personally. Let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll sing a song that uh, is, I think, worshipful in the way that Psalm 23 talks about. God, thank you for not being a God who cuts ties and runs at the sight of, uh, at the sight of us. Thank you for being a God who is intimately involved in his creation so much so that you uh, sent Jesus uh, so that you could make us clean and have a relationship with you. 
Thanks for the fact that in our walks, in our daily lives, you don't, you don't necessarily promise that uh, things will be all perfect and good all the time, but you do promise to be with us. You seek and save the lost. You seek after us sinners. I pray that this illustration of a sheep and shepherd would impact us so that as we read Psalm 23, it's not just something on a Hallmark card anymore, but it's a metaphor and a recognition of who you are and how much you love and care for us. And thanks for who you are. Thanks for what you continue to do for us. And we are excited about our relationship with you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.